Matt Mullenweg is the co-founder of WordPress and the CEO and founder of Automatic. Matt launched WordPress in 2003, transforming the free blogging software into the most popular publishing platform in the world. More than 27% of the web currently runs on WordPress, making Matt a crucial figure in powering a generation of writers, entrepreneurs, startups, and companies across the globe. Now everyone is democratizing something. We're democratizing, you know, uh, cool shoe access and democratizing like, <laughs> but we fundamentally thought of like how the, the free press and freedom of speech and communication can bring societies together. Automatic is also the company behind WooCommerce and Jetpack, among other products, with more than 500 employees working from more than 50 different countries. In this illuminating conversation, Matt talks about his journey from open source developer to tech tycoon, revealing the entrepreneurial tools necessary to scale a company as large as Automatic and create world-changing platforms for success. Please enjoy our conversation with Matt Mullenweg. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy podcast is brought to you by 8, maker of the 8 smart bed. Sleeping is smart. So is a bed that tells you exactly how well you slept last night. The 8 Smart Bed is a four-layer, high-density foam mattress paired with a smart cover that goes on the mattress just like a fitted sheet. This nearly invisible technology layer has multiple sensors that measure the quality of your sleep and deliver a daily sleep report each morning through the 8 app. The 8 cover also has a bed warming feature that warms each side of the bed individually to accommodate different sleeping temperatures. And 8 connects to almost any Wi-Fi enabled device in your house. Coffee makers, blinds, smart lights. Did we mention bed warming? Ivy podcast listeners get $100 off any mattress purchase by entering the promo code Ivy at checkout. Visit www.8sleep.com forward slash Ivy to start sleeping smarter today. Well, it's great to have you here. Can you believe 14 years ago? No. You launched this? <laughs> I was younger than even some of y'all. Like, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been, um, you know, WordPress is very much my life's work. So I was lucky to find it at an early age and I hope to continue working on it as long as I'm able. So start us off, you, you didn't have a, a typical journey. You know, you were, you were at school, you were in college, and all of a sudden you decided to take a little bit of a detour. How did that lead to creating WordPress? It's super typical. It's all about being the college dropout, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was born and bred till I'm dead, I guess in Texas. Yeah. It's catchy. <laughs> It doesn't change before you die, so I wasn't really <laughs> sure about that. It kind of rhymes, but 
Uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Texas, uh, in Houston, Texas. Actually, an incre- is anyone from Houston or from Texas? Yes. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. We got a couple here. Yeah, hey, hey. Where bigger is better. Um, <laughs> the higher the hair, the closer the God. That's right. Um, the... Yeah, Houston was an amazing city to grow up in. Uh, Incredibly dynamic city, incredibly diverse city. Uh, Actually, Houston just became the third largest city in the United States, passed up Chicago. So it's New York, LA, Houston. And it was just raised the most diverse city in the United States as well. Um, It's really got a, uh, just, it's a total melting pot. Much like you imagine New York, but because it's much cheaper, I think more people can go there. of everything and everyone, and and I really loved growing up there. I focused on the arts, so I thought I was gonna be a musician. And I went to a performing arts high school called the High School for the Performing and Visual Arts. Um, The other most famous graduate was Beyonce. (laughs) Second most famous, maybe. Um, And the girl from the Gilmore Girls, and a a lot of people went there, dancers, musicians, a lot of jazz musicians. So I studied jazz, played saxophone. And I uh, got my start making websites for other jazz musicians, uh, usually in exchange for lessons. I would either build them a computer or make a really terrible website. <laughs> the computers <laughs> were probably better than the websites. Um, but that was how I got my start, kind of building on the web and doing everything. And that, uh, after a few years, turned into sort of discovering open source and this idea that uh, there were communities online where it didn't matter that I was you know, an 18, 19-year-old kid from Houston. People would value on your, your ideas and your contributions, and that was kind of the currency of this new world. And I was completely enthralled by this. Uh, I had a small tribe in Houston. You know, I, found, I joined the Linux users group. At the time, Wi-Fi was new, so I was on the wireless user group. We used to drive around the city looking for Wi-Fi access points. Like, we'd do all these <laughs> sorts of things. Um, but it was a small tribe, maybe like 20 or 30 people that were really passionate about some of the things I was passionate about. And uh, so actually the first time I came to San Francisco, so it's so cool y'all are in San Francisco, um, I was blown away by, as I'm sure you know, like several times a week there's an event like this or there's just a tribe of people who are passionate about building things. And I moved to San Francisco kind of in the downturn. So it was, uh, I think 2005 when I first moved here. I was 20 years old. And... Um, it was a beautiful time because the internet had crashed. So it, it kind of cleared out the riffraff. <laughs> the only people who were still around were people who were really passionate about um, building and the web and the potential of things, uh, which we now know is a huge potential. But at the time, there was like, it was post.com crash. And there were a lot of people thinking that internet businesses were nothing special or weren't going to go anywhere. Uh, but for the folks who cared about particularly open web, open standards, open source, I was able to meet a lot of them here. If you look textbook, you, you shouldn't have made it. Your company shouldn't have worked. Why did it work? Talk about that process there in the beginning. Yeah, so, I mean, when I first moved to San Francisco, so I was in college. I was studying political science, uh, which is actually far more useful for running an open source project than computer science. <laughs> the, uh, oh, hi, Kevin. The, so I came up here for uh, just a week in the summer. Um, because I was visiting a friend, uh, his name was Tontek, he worked on browsers at the time, uh, and yeah, I just stayed at his house, crashed, and I never, actually still have never ridden a cable car, <laughs> and I never crossed the Golden Gate at that time, but I visited um, Yahoo and Google and AOL, all the companies that were huge at the time, 
And um, as I returned to Houston after this kind of week in San Francisco, uh, they started to get job offers from them. So they were like, hey, come out. Uh, Google had just bought Blogger. So they're like, come work on Blogger and different things. And the, but the most interesting was this company called CNET. It's gone. Now it's called CBS, but they have an awesome office on 2nd Street. And they said, uh, come work. And because we're a media company, we'll allow you to retain all the intellectual property of your work, which as you all know, most companies you sign up for, you sign away all of that, <laughs> including automatic. Like if you're building, if you're a software company, it's important to have the rights to all your software. But as a media company, they didn't really care about any open source stuff I did. Uh, and they gave me an incredible job offer. I was making as much as my dad had made uh, after 20 years in the oil business. So like 28 years in the oil business. Um, so I moved out. And it was like coming to the land of free air conditioning. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I really loved it. And, um, but at CNET, which was an editorial organization, so for those of y'all who remember, they had Download.com, GameSpot, News.com, a bunch of sort of, of the top editorial sites at the time. But they were threatened and actually very anti-blog. Because the big trend at the time was that blogs were starting to supplant major media and traditional media. Um, so what became Automatic, uh, my company, I actually pitched at CNET. Uh, I was very loyal and appreciative that they had helped me move out. And so I had said, hey, I think if we make blogs easier to make, this could be a big deal. And I had the domain. They actually had the best domains ever. <laughs> they had like online.com, they had com.com. If you've ever seen com.com. <laughs> That was like their genius way to get around like cookie subdomain restrictions. So they put everything on, so it was like news.com.com. It's a little silly, but they spent a lot of money on it. Um, so they had every cool domain name. They were like the preeminent, uh, sort of one of the preeminent online companies at that time. And, uh, and they just were, didn't buy it. They didn't think that uh, the sort of citizen publishing thing was ever going to be legitimate, especially when compared to their kind of editorial model. And uh, so I said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to do this, so I'm going to leave. I said a few extra months to help finish up some projects I was working on, because I didn't want to, again, I was very loyal to them, because uh, they moved me out from Houston, kind of plucked me from Texas to this Eden of San Francisco. Um, but, and they ended up investing a little bit in Automatic, but overall, we just had a difference of opinion to where to go. Uh, so the idea behind Automatic was WordPress had been around for a few years, but we wanted to create a company that made open source congruent with its business model. So if you look at a lot of open source companies, like let's say enterprise companies like Red Hat, or even some modern ones like Hadoop or Cassandra or something like that, they often say like, here's an open source version of our stuff. Like it's free. I joke to you off stage, like first one's free, like, you know? Uh, but don't use that license, it's scary. It'll infect all the rest of your software with this GPL thing. You'll have to release all of your software as open source. Uh, so come to this, MySQL did this, come buy this safe proprietary license. And so in some ways, they were actually, their business model was in opposition to what made them successful in the first place, which was, which was their community. So we want to see with Automatic, could we create a business where the for-profit and the non-profit made each other stronger in a complementary way versus them being at odds each, with each other. And what most commonly happens, which is like a company is created on an open source project and the open source project kind of gets screwed. 
So people who don't really know, Automatic offers products and services for your WordPress mm -hmm. users. And now you have over 500 employees, um, a valuation of, of over a billion dollars. But this was my favorite headline from Inc. Magazine that said, uh -oh. this CEO runs a billion dollar company with no offices or email. <laughs> that's what Automatic is. <laughs> so explain this concept of a company that's valued at a billion dollars that you're now running that has no real offices or email. So I'll try to break down that headline. We'll deconstruct it, right? This will be a good uh, joint exercise. So this CEO, it is true I am the CEO, so that part was accurate. <laughs> um, but I actually wasn't CEO for many, many years. I only became CEO three years ago. So when I moved here, again, I was 20. When I started the company, I was 21. Um, you know, I did a WordPress party and had to get someone else to buy the booze for it. You know, I was, not, I was very young when I moved. Uh, so uh, starting a company, I wanted to bring in someone who was experienced and would help me avoid mistakes. Uh, so we hired a CEO actually about six months after starting the company, so very early on in 2006, I believe, uh, named Tony Schneider. And he's kind of my business soulmate. We've worked together ever since then. And he's still at the company now. And basically, he had been through this a few times before. So having him as part of the company allowed us, allowed us to do things like, I actually still remember, so this is a good antidote for y'all. Antidote, 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 anecdote. That's the word. I, sometimes well I press my room. words together. They get confused. Um, the <laughs> I got it. Uh, I didn't realize that you could negotiate bills, right? I thought bills were all like your electric bill, like you pay it or the lights go off, or like this is how I grew up. And we had all these legal bills from like our first round of funding. And Tony came in, he was like, you don't have to pay all this. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you definitely don't want the lawyers mad at you. I didn't realize that these bills were highly negotiable. So if you, are, if you have any uh, bills, particularly with like bankers or lawyers or things like that, you can definitely negotiate that. So that'll be my one tidbit. That's a good tip. Okay, second part of the headline. This CEO, billion dollar company. Uh, valuations are meaningless. So <laughs> the, it's nice for a headline, but I would say that there is a, you know, it's a, be careful not to fall into a valuation trap. I see far too many entrepreneurs um, and I've made this my mistake myself in the past, sort of go for a headline valuation number and trade off a term. You know, the, the old line is like, uh, you, pick the, you pick the number, you pick the valuation, I'll pick the terms, right? <laughs> so you can have any valuation you want, but if the terms are not conducive to what you, your long-term vision for the company is, that's far, far, far more important. So it's better to take a lower valuation at the terms that you uh, feel like are congruent with your values and go for a higher one. Uh, the no, no headquarters. offices part. No offices. That's right. And, and people think maybe that works when you're dealing with 10, 30, even 50. But now you're no. at 500 employees. How do you not all have an office? Explain how this concept's working. Oh, it's so much easier. <laughs> I do get just, so I was in Airbnb the other day and that office is definitely one of the most beautiful ones ever made. <laughs> So I do get a little jealous sometimes, and you see like the energy and everything. But um, I will say that you also avoid a lot of drama. Offices, by definition, have a finite amount of space. Someone is next to the window, someone is next to the restroom, right? There is only, you can't be in the same place at the same time. Uh, so I believe that offices do create a lot more politics 
um, than not having an office. So we actually do have an office. We've always had a headquarters in San Francisco. Uh, we used to be on Pier 38 uh, down by the ballpark, and we currently have 132 Hawthorne on um, a building on Hawthorne Street, kind of in between... I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I don't come to San Francisco too much anymore. Uh, but part of it was we always wanted to have a home base. But what happened was that as we grew, we hired more and more people outside of the Bay Area. And even people we hired inside the Bay Area uh, decided that they didn't want to commute to San Francisco or they would decide to move away. <laughs> One thing we do at Automatic is, as a distributed company, which is highly unusual, uh, we keep the same salary ranges for the same role, regardless of geography. Uh, because one day, over time, I was looking at things and thinking, it's just fundamentally not fair that an engineer in Bulgaria doing the exact same work as an engineer in Palo Alto is making a drastically different amount. So we started making that the same. Um, that means that there's, in some ways, a little bit of an incentive to move away from very expensive areas. Uh, San Francisco is fantastic, and I do think it's important for us executives of the company uh, to be here at points in our evolution and regularly, like I'm visiting right now, met with some investors, met with other folks. Uh, but for the vast majority of people in the company, being in this area is completely useless. <laughs> and you can definitely do a lifestyle arbitrage, making a San Francisco salary and living in Texas or Paris or Tokyo or like many other places in the world that can have incredible qualities of life. So. That's the new office. Uh, we do have this headquarters. We are shutting it down. So if anyone would like 15,000 square feet of beautiful <laughs> office space, <laughs> we are we're currently, there's people who are looking at it and renting it out. We built it out really nice. Um, we built it out to be a lounge more than an office, so it's more of an event space. And we've actually made a lot of the rent back certain months by hosting events there. But the, at the end of the day, we didn't anticipate that people would, even people we hired here would want to move away. So we are going to no office, and then maybe we'll get like a small co-working space for folks in the area. You know, you've really defined what you want your legacy to be by devoting yourself to this open source mentality and, and the company and everything you do. Talk to me a little bit about what you think that means to be and to really promote this concept of open sourceness and democratizing the internet and, and how your company aligns with that vision of yours? It's a tough question. So our mission, the mission of WordPress and the mission of Automatic is to democratize the internet. Um, since we started using the phrase democratize, it has become quite fashionable. <laughs> And now everyone is democratizing something. We're democratizing, you know, uh, cool shoe access and democratizing, like, <laughs> but we fundamentally thought of, like, how the, the free press and freedom of speech and communication can bring societies together. And so if I had to go a level below the democratizing of publishing, I would say that one of the fundamental assumptions of automatic and WordPress in general is that people are fundamentally good. And if we can get people communicating and publishing more, that yes, there's bad people who use WordPress. There's Nazis, there's everything. Um, but by increasing that sort of threshold of communication between everyone, the good will outweigh the bad. And will make the internet a more inclusive and more open place. Uh, and we talked a little bit about earlier, like the internet, what made the internet the internet, what made it great, was that it wasn't built on a single company. 
that it didn't have proprietary protocols or proprietary software powering it. It was built on open protocols, open interrupt, uh, many companies and academic and governments coming together. Um, but over the past 20, 30 years, it's definitely been through uh, peaks and nadirs of how that openness has manifested itself. Because it is true that in the short term, it's easier to build something that only works with itself. Right? It's easier to build your social network if you're only going to connect with people who also register at Facebook.com. Like, it's, uh, it's just a little simpler. But the ultimate power of the web is when it crosses these boundaries. It's when it brings together many companies, when it brings together people from all over the world. It's when it goes around, when it routes around censorship, when it routes around firewalls, when it routes around the elements of society that want us to communicate less or connect less to bring us further apart than closer together. And that's why we fight every day for, for a company of our size, which is relatively small, only five, 600 people, 550 people. Um, we spend a lot of time in Congress lobbying. We spend a lot of time in lawsuits. We spend a lot of time uh, trying to make the web the place that we want to see. You know, the Gandhi quote, like, try to be the change you want to see in the world. We try to create the web that we want ourselves to live in and that our children to inherit. You've talked about how you spend your time now at Automatic, and you spend a huge chunk of it focusing on hiring people. Hmm? What do you look for in that process? And why, when you're a CEO, are you spending at least a, a third of your time really looking at every single person to hire that you will probably never see because they don't come to the office? <laughs> well, I'll say as a counterbalance in the office thing, we do think that in-person time is important. And we bring the whole company together once a year. We call it the Grand Meetup. Uh, that'll be in Whistler this year, up in uh, British Columbia. And individual teams. So in Automatic, uh, the primary unit of work is teams of five to 10 people. And those teams get together anywhere uh, from one to three times per year. So when someone gets hired at Automatic, we say, okay, work from home. But expect at least four weeks per year where you'll be on the road and plan for that, whether it's with family or pets or plants or whatever you need to do to manage that. We're gonna be away from home at least four weeks. Um, and for some folks, like executives, even more. The, what was the question? <laughs> oh, hiring. Hiring, exactly. Hiring. Who here hires? Just out of curiosity, like, who here is starting a business? Who here has used WordPress? Oh, that's even better than the 28%. This is a smart crowd. It is, I know. We stepped it up for you. <laughs> well, now you know what to do as your homework if you didn't raise your hand just then. But um, end of the day, you know, I don't think actually spending a third of your time as a founder or CEO on hiring and recruiting is, is unusual. And many of the best uh, CEOs who I've met or spoken to, even of companies in the tens of billions of dollars, far beyond where we are, uh, still devote a big part of their time to that. If you think about it, the people or around the table are kind of all that matter at the end of the day. And it's said so often that it's a little bit trite, but it's also still true. <laughs> and so uh, I focus so much time on hiring because it's more than anything else I do. It's the thing that influences the future of the company. And so we really uh, invest a lot of time, not just my time. We do a, uh, I won't get too into it, but there's an HBR article I wrote on this called, uh, Hiring by trial. 
So if you just Google HB, Harvard Business Review Mullen Wake, um, you'll get this article. And it talks about a whole hiring process from the resume screening to the trial process, which typically takes four to six weeks, to the offer, to the creed that we put in the offer letter, like kind of everything is spelled out there. And um, I think that any company, whether you're hiring remote or in person, uh, should adopt something like this. Because too much of our hiring is either implicitly biased or, uh, you know, it's not unusual. I talked to other friends at other companies that, you know, will typically have a 25, 30% rate of people they hire that end up not working out. And especially when you're growing fast, when you're small, that's very, 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 very expensive to have such a high miss rate. So we really try to optimize for, we bring people in the door slowly, but when we do, uh, there's a high likelihood that they're going to work out. And by the way, we try to hire not just for, you know, a tour of duty of two to three years, but with the expectation that people will be around five, seven, ten years from now. And so that's the type of mess we're making. When you look at the future of the web, where do you see that going in ways that maybe other people don't see because of your experience having built WordPress? I think, I mean, and I haven't been doing this that long compared to some of pe some people I know, but being passionate about the web from a very young age, um, I was able to see a couple cycles. You know, there was a point when, uh, just like today, there on billboards, people put like a Twitter handle, like at something something. You know, there was a time not that long ago when people put AOL keywords, and AOL was seen as a completely unassailable incumbent that no one could ever uh, dislocate or unseat. Uh, so the one thing I would say is that whatever you think today is the incumbent, that's an unimaginable for anything to replace, whether that's Facebook or Google or Amazon or maybe the people that we can name, um, they 100% will be replaced. <laughs> that's the only thing that I'm certain of. And it'll come from someplace you don't expect. So. The trend, the super trend, though, that we've seen is that uh, computing brings people together and open source as a way of developing and a way of adoption of software is fundamentally, well, it's like uh, we talked earlier about what is, what is open source. And the best analogy I like to make is that just like the United States has the Constitution, but then we have the Bill of Rights. It gives us freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of uh, association. Uh, open source is like a bill of rights for software. And the more and more that e so much of our lives are governed by software, and governed not just in like a, a legal sense, like we live in a state or a country, but governed that we are beholden when our phone buzzes, that elicits a response in our brains. The way that what is shown in our newsfeed, what is, uh, who is able to contact us and how that interaction happens. I mean, form dictates function. And the interfaces, the decisions that are made in the software dictate how our very lives are conducted. And I worry long term about that being a black box, about that being something that we're not allowed to modify or own or see how it works. Um, self-driving cars is a great example. Statistically, I think self-driving cars will be 10 or 100 times better than humans driving cars. As a driver myself, I'm sure of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, but at some point, statistically, they're gonna, someone's going to die. <coughs> Self-driving cars are going to hit someone. Um, how do we unwind that when the algorithms and the data driving those algorithms are proprietary? 
How do we know who's culpable for that? Who pays the insurance? These are questions that I feel like if we have a computing infrastructure, whether that's our phones, our cars, our, our news feeds, our bandwidth that is beholden to shareholders instead of the people, um, it will be fundamentally misaligned over the long term and will create a society that is in some ways very scary. I want to do a quick, almost rapid fire with you. You've made some of the greatest lists. You know, Forbes 30 under 30, 40 under 40. You've been pointed out. I know, they're getting older and older every year. It's great. (laughs) As long as you keep making the list. 100 under 100 is probably the next one. (laughs) Just just keep making the list, Matt. So let's go through quick, rapid fire to, to, to pick the brain of a guy who makes those kinds of lists. Number one, the entrepreneur you admire most and why? Hmm. Um, someone who I've been fortunate to meet a lot of times, and every time I learn more about him, I'm more blown away, is uh, Jeff Bezos. He just, um, there's many valid criticisms of Amazon and their failures like the Fire Phone and everything that they've done. Uh, and I don't mean to say that they are sort of heir apparent to any of the computing trends. Uh, but the way that he in particular has approached many elements of the business I admire. Two, biggest mistake you've made? Biggest mistake I made. I was living in San Francisco and had no money and I was paying all the WordPress bills out of a credit card, which was beginning to max out. And um, I got this email that said, hey, if you put these links on your website, we'll send you two grand per month. That is very obvious to everyone here. But at the time, there was no web spam. I feel so old saying this. Uh, so I was like, oh. And he had some story where like, oh, people are stealing our, our content and ranking higher for us. And like, I was like, all right. And I used actually a new CSS technique to hide the links. <laughs> I thought it was very novel. Um, my friend now, Matt Cutts, who used to run anti-web spam at Google, um, was like, oh, we hadn't seen that one before. Uh, but I had these links on WordPress.org. WordPress was removed from Google. It did not show up in search results. We were completely blacklisted. And uh, because now, in hindsight, we were essentially enabling web spam. Um, I imagine those articles in mesotheliomia were completely legitimate, but <laughs> but also shows that you can, you can perhaps turn some of your uh, cognitive or critical faculties off if you're in a desperate or situation or for a check. And so at the time, it was very much uh, in debt and financing everything. It was very, very close to the, uh, to the ground there. Um, the happy ending, so we were removed. I removed it all, I returned the money, and we were reinstating to Google, and it was the inspiration for our first product, which is called Akismet. Many people don't know this. Before WordPress.com, I wrote to the system called Akismet, which is an anti-web spam system. So in my very like, Catholic upbringing, it was like my way to pay penance <laughs> for spamming the web a little bit. I was like, I will help unspam the web for a little bit. <laughs> And uh, now what we would call machine learning, it's an anti-web sp- anti-spam system that's re- maintained five nines of accuracy over a decade now, which for anyone who works in machine learning or anti-spam knows that is highly, highly unusual. Um, but if you're on a WordPress site, you probably have it. And if you use many, many other services, they essentially use the Kismet API to keep spam off their service. So. Three, what scares you? I know, these were supposed to be rapid fire. That's Sorry right. for my long answers. Very thorough, though. 
three, what scares you? Um, hmm. It sounds like kind of weird, but I've always been really scared of damaging my hands. That's fascinating. Why? Because that's how you work? Everything good I do is with my hand. No, it happens. I'm going to, I'm telling all these old stories. I don't usually talk about the past this much. I'm a little nostalgic because I'm in uh, San Francisco. And I feel like this is a little bit of a younger crowd. So I do want to impart that at one point I was in your chair going to every single event in San Francisco, 19, 20, 21 years old, like just trying to figure it all out. Matt, how Uh, old are you? You're 30? I'm not 33. Three? Yeah. You make it sound like you're 73. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... Oh. Not the youngest guy in the room but, anymore. But like you do it's... have a really great backpack, and I want to get to that, Uh-oh. because this actually kind of makes you feel a little... Can I tell young. something about the hands? Yes, please, tell about the hands. <laughs> please. <laughs> so I damaged my hands. Um, I was uh, working at CNET, so working... I didn't have to, but I worked really long hours. I was typing a ton, I was coding WordPress after hours, and I had started taking piano lessons. So I don't know if y'all know this. You can actually rent a stand-up piano for like 25 bucks a month in San Francisco. It's an amazing deal. You will ignore your neighbors to no ends. Uh, but I was learning piano, and I had some sort of incorrect technique. I was stretching my hands too much. It was also Blackberry days, so I was like on my thumbs a ton. So I got like a pain. They called it uh, rheumatoid arthritis. They were like, you're too young to have this, but it looks exactly like rheumatoid arthritis. And I had to have my right hand in a cast for like three months. It was like one of my last months at CNET. I felt guilty because I was like, I'm operating at like 20% here, <laughs> efficiency. But it also terrified me because I was like, so much of my, uh, my writing, I play the saxophone, everything I do was like attached to uh, agility and ability in your hands. Um, it definitely makes you appreciate as well. One thing that's been big for WordPress from the beginning is accessibility. And so uh, appreciating folks who have some sort of... Uh, Disability is not the right word to use for it, but some sort of different uh, restrictions on what they do, with, particularly with computing, is so, so enabling. And I see this today with um, my mother doesn't walk as well anymore. So a lot of times she's in wheelchairs. The sidewalks in Houston are terrible. They're really, really bad because no one walks in Houston. <laughs> and so I've become to appreciate at a whole new level like how that these this thing I never noticed before, which is walking over the sidewalks and whether there was huge bumps or gaps or pieces of grass, I would just walk over it. But when you're on wheels, it becomes a huge, huge deal. So I guess, I guess one more advice if you're building something, um, and this was great advice I got, is when you build for accessibility, you're building for things beyond what you would ever imagine. Because the thing that makes your product accessible to someone uh, who's missing a hand also makes it accessible to someone holding a child, trying to use it at the same time. So building for all forms of usage of the product can actually benefit you in many ways that you wouldn't imagine. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.